Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Man, oh man, a shevet. Are we armed today? Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Well, you're going to hear tomorrow, Judge Amy Berman Jackson, federal district court judge, one of hundreds in Washington, D.C., who happens to manage to get all these cases involving former Trump people. She's a big lib appointed by Obama. She represented that congressman from Louisiana who put that money in the freezer. Remember him, Mr. Producer? Remember he put like $90,000 in cash in the freezer? Not Alcee Hastings. Doesn't matter who it was. She represented that congressman. I think his name was Jefferson, actually. Alcee did other stuff, you know. But nonetheless... She was an assistant U.S. attorney for a period of time. She went into private practice for a period of time. William Jefferson, that's right. Remember William Jefferson? But I want to talk about this because it'll be hot tomorrow. And I want to help this judge, Amy Berman Jackson. Because the news is already reporting. She wants to know why these four line U.S. prosecutors resigned. Actually, one actually resigned. Others moved on to other positions. Let me help you, Judge. That's not the issue. The issue is what took place in your courtroom. The issue is what took place in your courtroom. And the issue is what took place with your foreman. The foreman of the jury. In front of your eyes. And in your hearing distance. And how it is. That even now, you haven't acted immediately to get to the bottom of this. You're more worried about these four prosecutors? That already tells us that you're not looking at this from the right side up. However you decide. Your job is to ensure that that defendant receives a fair trial under our Constitution. And that defendant did not. I don't care who the hell appointed you to the federal bench. You're still flesh and blood, despite the black robe. And it's not your job to be a special pleader for these four reprobates. And to take sides. It's about time you acted like a judge, in my humble opinion. Just my view. Now she wants to know what took place. Let me give you a little background, judge. Because this is my courtroom. Maybe you didn't see this, Judge, but I'll help you. There was a piece the other day in the Washington Examiner by Daniel Chaitin. 
U.S. attorney caved to ultimatum by Mueller prosecutors in Roger Stone case. In other words, these four prosecutors blackmailed the U.S. attorney that if he didn't go along with their recommendations, they would make a huge fuss and create all kinds of PR problems and other problems for him. What do you think of that, Judge? Attorney General William Barr's hand-picked top prosecutor, presiding over the Roger Stone case, reportedly caved to prosecutors seeking a steep prison sentence for the longtime friend of President Trump. Let me step in here for a moment, too. Way back when, when the president was running for the Republican nomination, Roger Stone wrote or said something quite vile and vicious about yours truly. And I unleashed on the SOB. And I said, as long as the President of the United States was taking counsel from this slimeball, I could never support him. That I was a never-Trumper. A few days later or so, I got an email from the President saying that Roger Stone was not part of his campaign. And that Roger Stone was not consulting the campaign. And then I said, okay, fine by me. Then I can support the president. Should he be the nominee in the Republican primary process? This is what the left and the never-Trumpers use to say. See, Mark was a never-Trumper, and he's only changed because... No, you were here. I explained everything then. So I'm no fan of Roger Stone. I'm not one of the Roger Stone fanboys. Quite the opposite. So when I say this guy's being screwed, he's being screwed. And when I say this judge is a liberal activist, she's a liberal activist. And when I say she has a responsibility to clean up the crap that took place right in front of her in her courtroom, that's her job. Justice was not done in her courtroom. Now, the media want to take up for the four-line reprobate prosecutors because they hate Trump and everything associated with Trump. But we're smarter than the media. We're wiser than the media. We have better judgment than the media. So the media will not and cannot drive us. Let's continue with this. Timothy Shea, the recently installed interim U.S. attorney in Washington, informed Justice Department leadership that he believed the initial seven to nine year sentencing recommendation for Stone was too excessive. Department of Justice sources told the Wall Street Journal's Kimberly Strassel. But... The four line prosecutors, including three who served on special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation, threatened to withdraw from the case if their penalty request was diminished. And with Monday's court deadline approaching, Shea relented. He caved. Mr. Shea, new to the job, suffered a moment of cowardice and submitted to this ultimatum, Strassel wrote. So four line prosecutors, not the U.S. Attorney, four line prosecutors, three who'd worked in the Mueller case, blackmailed 
this interim U.S. attorney, that either he supports their outrageous recommendation or they would withdraw from the case, creating all kinds of tumult for this interim United States attorney. So he backed off. He was scared. Once Justice Department leadership learned of the tall sentencing recommendation for Stone, who was convicted of witness tampering and lying to Congress, they moved to overrule the prosecutor, suggesting instead up the four years of prison time. In short order, the four federal prosecutors withdrew from the case, and one quit his job entirely. As the president tweeted about the original guidance early Tuesday, calling it a miscarriage of justice before the reversal, the Democrats have accused him and Attorney General William Barr of interfering in the case, as you know. Barr said he was very surprised by the tougher suggested penalty, but claimed the decision to scale it back was made before Trump slammed the guidance, which is a fact. But the media continued to lie. They continue to say Barr was influenced by Trump and Trump tried to influence Barr. Neither happened. The gears were already in the works. The wrongdoing here was by these contemptible four-line prosecutors who blackmailed and threatened the interim U.S. attorney who ran scared, who's a coward, and insisted on throwing the book at Stone. And of course, the media and the Democrats backed them. Not justice, not due process, not fairness. Because they have the mindset of Mussolini when it comes to Trump and his people. Mussolini, a fascist. Now we're going to find out who this judge is and where she stands, although I feel I know her pretty well. Just from observing from afar. And then, of course, and then, of course, ladies and gentlemen, 1,100 former Department of Justice employees have signed a letter condemning Attorney General Barr and encouraging others at the Department of Justice to make his life miserable. And they are outraged that he would overrule these line prosecutors the way he did, including the Mueller holdovers. Even though it was he in the Department of Justice who were sandbagged. Doesn't matter. Even though it's Roger Stone who's been subjected to a Soviet-style trial. No, no, no. 1,100 signed a letter. What did I tell you the other day? There are over 90,000 employees at the Department of Justice. Remember that, Mr. Producer? Told you that the other day. Over 90,000. And these are retired. These are former. If you include retired, former Department of Justice officials roaming the earth... That's hundreds of thousands. But that doesn't even matter. This letter was an organized effort by a left-wing group 
to get these signatures. Who is it and what do they do? Because the media, for the most part, haven't reported this. Instead, they treat it like this is some kind of objective and professional objection to the Attorney General. No, it's not. It's more of the same crap. And I'll explain when we return. I'll be right back. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 through charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. Well, ladies and gentlemen, 1,100 angels came together who were concerned about the administration of justice. And they signed a petition concerned about the trial that took place in Judge Amy Berman Jackson's courtroom with a foreman who was obviously a hack influencing the proceedings and the judge didn't even realize it. And of course it's everybody else's fault. But it doesn't matter. We need to know why the four-line prosecutors were so upset about Maine Justice's actions. Actually, none of that's what happened. More than 1,100 former federal prosecutors signed a letter to condemn Attorney General Barr. How do things like this happen? Think it's a coincidence? No, it's organized. As reported in The American Greatness, Times reported Katie Benner trying to make the stunt look like a legitimate grassroots effort attributed the letter to Protect Democracy, which he describes as a, quote, non-profit legal group, unquote. Unlike me, Mr. Producer, did you know my first name is Right Wing? That's Right Wing. My parents would be shocked. Right Wing Mark Levin, Right Wing hey, radio host, Right Wing author, Right Wing Fox host. Yeah, it's true. But Protect Democracy is not an organic activist group spontaneously created by high-minded legal experts alarmed by Trump's alleged flouting of the rule of law. No. Protect Democracy was launched in early 2017 as part of an extensive anti-Trump operation managed by a left-wing tech billionaire, Pierre Omidyar. O-M-I-D-Y-E-R. Omidyar. Pierre Omidyar. You know what he is? He's the founder of eBay. This is who's behind Protect Democracy. 
And a number of other nonprofits formed to destroy the press. You know what I've noticed? All the talk about them hating billionaires, what would the left do without billionaires? What would they do without Soros? What would they do without Pierre here? What would they do without Bloomberg toppling legislatures to push uh, Soviet-style gun control? Their billionaires, for the most part, are much more active than our billionaires, and there seem to be a hell of a lot more of them. They seem to like the idea of chaos, anarchy, socialism, Marxism among the people as they remain fat and happy. Maybe we need to have a project focused on the liberal billionaires in this country and how they try to use their money to subvert our constitutional system and, quite frankly, subvert capitalism. I know it's counterintuitive, but there it is. It's in our faces. So this group is a front group for a billionaire founder of eBay, Pierre Omidyar. They put together the 1,100 names. And the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost and the Constipated News Network and MSLSD and all of them somehow failed to highlight this point. Imagine that. In 2018, according to the group's most recent tax filing, Protect Democracy collected nearly 7 million in donations. Omdiar's most politically active nonprofit, Democracy Fund, has donated 2 million since 2017. So he's got one fund donating to another fund. Makes it easier to, you know, scramble the funds. Democracy Fund is spending tens of millions each year to underwrite dozens of anti-Trump projects. In fact, over the past two years, I've seen alarming, sometimes unprecedented violations of our country's democratic norms, says Joe Goldman, the fund's president. Protect Democracy, the one with the 1,100 prosecutors in their petition, houses a number of former Democratic staffers, including a former aide to Representative Adam Schiff and Obama White House alumni Ricky Seidman. Oh, remember her? Last seen advising Christine Blasey Ford. She's the director of the Protect uh, Democracy Project. And several never-Trumpers are involved with it. Mona Charon, Linda Chavez, Matthew Dowd, failed presidential candidate, Evan McMullen, serve as advisors. Wow. Want to hear more about this organization and the 1,100 prosecutorial angels who just came forward to trash one of the greatest attorneys general in history? I'll be back. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. 
Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. Mark Levin says today, what the backbenchers will repeat tomorrow. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. Sky Michael Bloomberg, as we will discuss in a moment, appears to be a real head case. Lashing out of one American community after another. I understand him citing statistics on murder. That's perfectly legitimate. But the way he did it was unacceptable. Throwing young black kids up against the wall? Uh, No. And no, everybody doesn't say that either. But they even found more that he said in 2011. Trashing farmers and ranchers. Denying health care to the elderly with cancer. This guy's a whack job, ladies and gentlemen. He's exactly what I said he did. He's an oligarch. And he'll do whatever he has to do for power. Trump was never that way. First of all, Trump didn't spend hundreds of millions of dollars of his own money. Hundreds of millions of dollars of his own money. And despite the attacks on Trump, Trump was never close to Putin, never close to Xi. This guy's tight with Xi, but we'll get to that later. I mean, the Democrats really are in a pickle here. You got a guy who's worth about $60 billion and uh, appears to have a very low IQ. It's amazing how people can make all this money and have a relatively low IQ. Is it not, Mr. Producer? And a vicious hate for America, Bloomberg, a vicious hate for this country, going after one segment after another. And then you have a Marxist who doesn't even want to be called a socialist anymore, trying to take over the Democrat Party, he's not a Democrat, coming to his defense with the Code Pink Republicans, and another combination of bizarros. Another guy who hates this country, hates it. So you have an oligarch running who hates the country. You have a Marxist running who hates the country. But you don't have an old-fashioned Democrat running who fits the bill. They're trying to find one and make one out of Bloomberg. He's not it. Buttigieg is a radical nut job, And Klobuchar is a staff-hating leftist. But you don't understand. I understand completely. I'll bet you enjoyed Life, Liberty, and Levin last night, those of you who watched it. I'll bet you learned a hell of a lot that relates to what's taking place as I speak. I'll bet you learned that Donald Trump is nothing like they portray him. A dictator, the most abusive president we've ever had. Actually, the opposite. But Franklin Roosevelt is all those things and more. And that's the hero of the Democrat Party. That's the hero of Bernie Sanders. That's the hero of the progressive movement. So it's important to understand with Marxism, socialism, progressivism, or whatever ism you want to call it, hemorrhoidisms in terms of them and their government efforts. It's all about police state tactics and the iron fist in the end. Now let's get back to the 1,100 prosecutors that the media have told us want Bill Barr's head on a spike. 
Several never-Trumpers are also involved with this protect democracy, not just that radical billionaire who founded eBay. According to this piece by the American Greatness, National Review columnists Mona Charon and Linda Chavez, ABC News pundit Matthew Dowd, failed presidential candidate Evan McMullen serve as advisors. Omidyar, this left-wing billionaire who founded eBay, is the sugar daddy for many never-Trump outlets. The bulwark, the offshoot of the shuttered Weekly Standard, is partially funded by him. Charlie Sykes, the now-failed talk radio host. He's the bulwark's editor-in-chief. I believe my buddy uh, Jonah Goldberg contributes to that effort over there. But Charlie Sykes serves on the board of Democracy Fund. Omidar also funds Republicans for the rule of law, headed by Bill Kristol. Lawfare, a central peddler of Russian collusion hoax propaganda. R Street, home to disgraced FBI lawyer James Baker. And Stand Up Republic, headed by McMullen. All have been on the attack against Trump and Barr. So a heavily funded, organized attack on the president, on the attorney general, by these Republicans. Incredible. Funding the never-Trumper movement here. The letter dominated social media on Sunday. Former Justice Department trended most of the day. Other news outlets picked up Benner's misleading account of the stunt. But despite what the Times and other reporters want the public to believe, it wasn't authentic. Far from it. Just another destroyed Trump mission funded by leftists to deceive and inflame the public. And the media know all about this. They know who these groups are. But it doesn't matter. Because it's not a free press. It's not a free press. So tonight you know that the U.S. attorney, the interim U.S. attorney, caved to the four-line prosecutors, three of whom were Mueller holdovers. Tonight you know the 1,100 prosecutors have signed the letter, part of a uh, ultra-left-wing movement funded by a billionaire, to take out the president and the attorney general. And of course the media ran with that. More than happy to do it. That's why they do these things. And you've also learned that so far the judge's focus. The Obama appointee Amy Berman Jackson. Is not on the outrage that occurred in her courtroom against a defendant. But she's upset about the four prosecutors. She wants to get to the bottom of that. Meanwhile, Roger Stone, the case should be absolutely dismissed, is an innocent man by all normal standards of justice. Of all, by all normal standards of justice. And we'll see what this judge does. Let me suggest that the lawyers representing Stone need to get extremely aggressive and understand they are in a hostile courtroom with a judge who should have stepped aside and recused herself by now. If she does not immediately investigate what took place with this foreman. And they should move to the appellate court, and they should move to the Supreme Court, and find, uh, and find bases to do so, like smart lawyers do. Let's hope they do. Now, Michael Bloomberg, the oligarch, who wants to become president, 
in order to end President Trump's efforts to prevent China from destroying our number one status in the military and our number one status economically as they keep stealing our technology and cheating and lying and threatening our allies and threatening their neighbors. Michael Bloomberg sold out to Xi and the red Chinese regime a long time ago. And among those who speak on his behalf include Thomas Friedman, who is a mouthpiece for the communist regime, and I read that piece in 2009, where he admires that regime and condemns our government. But Bloomberg is really a sleazeball. A complete sleazeball. Trashing our farmers, among others. And and the Vice President Mike Pence had a wonderful posting on social media of the great Paul Harvey talking about farmers. So when we come back, first I want you to hear what Michael Bloomberg had to say about our farmers. And I'm sure that Michael Bloomberg eats very, very well as a result of our farmers. If farming was left to Michael Bloomberg, he'd starve to death. In fact, if much was left to Michael Bloomberg, we'd starve to death. I want you to hear what he had to say, and then I want to answer with Paul Harvey via the vice president. We'll be right back. Lovin. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 through charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. All right, lots to do here. Can't wait to jump in both feet. Michael Bloomberg, this is your wretched life. Farming is so easy, anyone can do it. Hat tip Twitter, cut to go. Anybody, even people in this room, so no offense intended, to, to be a farmer. You, it's a process. You dig a hole, you put a seed in, you put dirt on top, add water, up comes the corn. Then we had 300, you could learn that. Then, then um, you have 300 years of the industrial society. Uh, you put the piece of metal on the lathe, you turn the crank in the direction of the arrow, and you can have a job. Now let's stop cre- there. He's not just trashing farmers. He's trashing everybody who uses their hands. Assembly line workers, mechanics, electricians, plumbers, farmers. What's the big deal? You learn to turn a lathe. What's the big deal? You learn to, uh, to run wire. What's the big deal? You learn to solder pipes. What's the big deal? 
he is attacking the agricultural sector of this country and the industrial sector of this country. He's attacking farmers in rural areas. He's attacking blue-collar workers in metropolitan areas. What's the big problem? Being a cop, all you have to do is walk around with a gun in your holster. Hey, be a firefighter. All you have to do is drive a truck and pull out a hose. Hey, what's the problem? Not like a tech-savvy guy like me. I'm telling you, this guy's at war with America. And I'm sick and tired of these radical left-wing billionaires. And I'm sick and tired of these Marxists parading around like Bernie Sanders. Oh, they're going to stir things up. They'll stir things up all right. This is the best the Democrat Party can do, apparently. Continue, please. 1.98% of the world worked in, uh, in agriculture today. It's 2% in the United States. Uh, now comes the information economy. And the information economy is fundamentally different because it's built around replacing people with technology and the skill sets that you have to learn are how to think and analyze. And that is a whole degree level different. You have to have a different skill set. You have to have a lot more gray matter. Now, I'm going to address this. Probably won't have enough time this segment. But first, I want Paul Harvey to address this. When it comes to farmers, they don't just dig a hole, put in a seed, put dirt on it, add water, and up comes corn. You buffoon. Hat tip to the vice president, Mike Pence. Here's Paul Harvey. Go. Looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to sit up all night with a newborn colt and watch it die and dry his eyes and say, maybe next year. I need somebody who can shape an axe handle from a persimmon sprout, shoe a horse with a hunk of car tire, who can make harness out of hay, wire feed sacks and shoe scraps, who planting time and harvest season will finish his 40-hour week by Tuesday noon and then pain in from tractor back, put in another 72 hours. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend to pink-combed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. It had to be somebody who'd plow deep and straight and not cut corners. Somebody to seed, weed, feed, breed, and rake, and disc, and plow, and plant, and tie the fleece, and strain the milk. Somebody who'd bail a family together with the soft, strong bonds of sharing. Who would laugh, and then sigh, and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says that he wants to spend his life doing what dad does. So God made a farmer. That's a farmer. Bloomberg is a very, very cold man. He's a very, very cold man. And this thing about special skill sets. Special skill sets. Self-sufficiency is a very important special skill set. Construction workers. Electricians, plumbers, roofers, carpenters, people who lay floor, 
that's a special skill set. We wouldn't have a roof over our heads but for them. The men and women who work the telephone lines, the electric lines, the men and women who work the oil fields, we wouldn't have heat. We wouldn't have air conditioning but for them. The men and women go out into the oceans to get us food. We wouldn't have fish and all the delicacies that Mr. Bloomberg enjoys, like scallops, shrimp, lobster. But for them, who work these horrific hours and days, we'd have nothing but for the men and women who work with their hands. Nothing. Now, I don't put down the men and women who are involved in technology and the information age. No, not in the least. But to attack, to attack the men and women who feed this country, who heat this country, who air condition this country, and on and on and on, is not a man who should be president of the United States. I don't care how many hundreds of millions he spends on advertising. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I want to uh, to continue with this Michael Bloomberg because he's spending a fortune to try and portray himself as somebody he's not. Uh, he is uh, diabolical, as a matter of fact. Diabolical. He wasn't just trashing farmers. He's trashing everybody who's not like him terms of technology. And by the way, shame on the network news that I've listened to, and maybe many of you down the line have to listen to. They want on about this petition. Now there's over 2,000 former federal uh, Justice Department individuals who've signed the petition. Not one word about who's organizing this. Nothing. Nothing. It wasn't that long ago, really, about three and a half years ago, You senior citizens might want to listen to this. When Michael Bloomberg said, you know, if you got prostate cancer and you're old, uh, you should be sent away to enjoy the rest of your life. Now this is a man who would run the healthcare system. Sounds like this Ezekiel Manuel guy. And there's something about the left in life and the disrespect for life that is really sickening. Whether it's babies in the womb or even babies out of the womb now. Or whether it's senior citizens. They're all for programs. 
But the pro, you know, I often say the the movie The Bridge Over the River. And the Democrats are the uh, the British colonel. They're forced through horrific slave labor, their POWs, to build this bridge across the River Kwai for the Japanese. Then when they're given the order to blow it up because a Japanese troop train is crossing over, he won't blow it up because he's in love with his bridge. Ultimately, he's shot and he falls on the plunger and it blows up the bridge. Very dramatic. Now, the Democrats are in love with their programs. They're in love with the bureaucracy. They're in love with big government. They're just not in love with you. They talk about illegal aliens. Joe Biden's out there now talking about illegal aliens. Being more important than American citizens. I mean, this is a truly sick party. When it comes to American citizenry and life. And yet they claim to be compassionate. So here's Michael Bloomberg. You're not going to hear this well. Do your best. I will read you later, read to you what it says. Just a few years back. Cut three, go. And what things they can't fix right away. If you're bleeding, they'll stop the bleeding. If you need an extra, you don't have to wait. That's just... And all of these costs keep going up. Nobody wants to pay any more money. And at the rate we're going, health care is going to bankrupt us. So not only do we have a problem... And we've got to sit here and say which things we're going to do and which things we're not. Nobody wants to do that. You know, if you show up with prostate cancer and you're 95 years old, you should say, go and enjoy, have a nice day, live a long life. There's no cure, and you can't do it. If you're a young person, we should do something about it. Society's not willing to do that yet. So we're going to bankrupt us. Listen to how cavalier he is. Listen to how cold-blooded he is. First, when it comes to farmers and blue-collar workers, you know, you just don't have the gray matter, blah, blah, blah. Now listen to this. Now, my father was 93 when he died, and his body was ravaged by cancer. And he died in really a three, three three-and-a-half-month period, and he died a very painful death near the end. Really, nobody should go through what he went through. And my mother suffered from liver cancer for about 18 months, give or take. And she was just shy of 89 by three days when she passed away. Who's going to make these decisions? You see, ladies and gentlemen... Whether you're 93 or 88, or whether you're three weeks from birth, you're a human being. You can feel pain. You can feel pain. When you're 93 or 88, and you're in the twilight of your life, you should be treated with respect. This is not the way a civilized society treats its elderly. These are the people who built this country. 
And to be so cold-hearted and dismissive. I'm going to play this again. You know the substance, but I want you to listen in particular to the way in which he speaks. It was like talking about the black youth. Hey, look, you know, throw him up against the wall. And throw who up against the wall? What are you talking about? Or the farmers and the blue-collar workers. Hey, look, it's the matter of gray matter, different degrees of skills, and, you know, all you have to do is, you know, dig a hole, put a seed in there, put dirt on top, add water, and up comes the corn. It's that simple. This man has no idea how this country works. None. But I want you to listen to this again for the way the dehumanizing way he does it. Cut three, go. And what things they can't fix right away. You know, if you're bleeding, they'll stop the bleeding. If you need an x-ray, you're going to have to wait. That's just... And all of these costs keep going up. Nobody wants to pay any more money. And at the rate we're going, health care is going to bankrupt us. So not only do we have a problem, it's going to bankrupt us. And we've got to sit here and say which things we're going to do and which things we're not. Nobody wants to do that. You know, you show up, with prostate cancer and you're 95 years old we should say go and enjoy have a nice day leave a long life there's no cure and you can't do it if you're a young person we should do something about it society's not willing to do that yet so we're mm-hmm. going to bankrupt us tell me what if the young person is a drug addict should we still do it and the older person there's an IQ of 150 still sharp as can be and still coming up with all kinds of important advances for humanity. What are we going to have? A council of wise men and wise women that say, you live, you die, you die, you live. I'm telling you folks something. You heard the rumblings of this by Obama and his administrations. You hear it from this guy. You hear the rumblings of this from the Bernie Sanders camp from time to time. This is what government-run health care is going to get you. Medicare for all. Single-payer health care. Where everybody gets Government-run health care is police state health care. Let me repeat this for the backbenchers. Government-run health care is police state health care. No insurance company can deny a 95-year-old cancer treatments. No hospital because of their age. We have age discrimination laws, too. None. But now we have people who want to be president of the United States who say we must. Now, we do need to get our hands on health care. And the way we get our hands on health care is to get our hands off health care. I know. It's counterintuitive. I know. We've been raised. We've been bred to believe government, government, centralized, centralized. We need more insurance companies, not less. We need more types of insurance, not less. We need more ideas, not less. We need more different types of pharmaceuticals, not less. We need more doctors, not less. We need more nurses, not less. We need more hospitals, not less. Competition. But I'm the only one who apparently believes it. Whether it's the current administration, past administrations, whatever it is. Future administrations. This is the ultimate outcome. Everybody said to have health insurance. Insurance. But brutal decisions are made about individuals. That 95-year-old 
individual, like my 93-year-old father, is still a human being with a functioning brain, with emotions. And you don't just say goodbye, have a good life, you know, be well, and so forth. No, you don't. The inhumanity of the left, the inhumanity of the Democrat Party, the inhumanity of the Supreme Court when it comes to abortion would have been unimaginable not that long ago. And this man believes that he can spend his way into the presidency. Let me tell you something. He is so far unlike Donald Trump. Just because they're billionaires doesn't mean they're the same in any respect. I was thinking about this. Donald Trump didn't pass on Iowa. Donald Trump didn't pass on New Hampshire. Donald Trump didn't pass on a single debate. He went into every state. He engaged in every debate, whether there were 17 on the stage or just two or three of them. He could have spent $350 million of his own money, but number one, he's too smart to do that. But number two, he stirred up the system by getting into the system to change the system. He didn't buy his way into anything. And yet Bloomberg is. Bloomberg is. When we return, more on Michael Bloomberg and his comments about blacks and Latinos. This guy has a hang-up. And they can try and pin it on Trump all they want by changing his words, by cherry-picking his words, like Jake Tapper and Chuck Todd and the other losers. But I don't have to do that with Michael Bloomberg. We'll be right back. Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Now let us return to Bloomberg's view of young black and Latino males. You think this guy's going to unite the country? Just look at the stereotypes he has in that miniature cranium of his. You know, I've never really sat down and figured out how he made his $60 billion, Mr. Producer. 
I just sometimes think maybe if I wasn't doing what I was doing 20 hours a day, maybe I could have made $60 billion. Look at the idiots that are making billions of dollars. Certifiable, insane buffoons. Now here's Bloomberg in 2011. Cut one, go. Nevertheless, there's this enormous cohort of black and Latino males aged, let's say, 16 to 25 that don't have jobs, don't have any prospects, don't know how to find jobs, don't know uh, that they, what their skill sets are. Now, let's stop there. I don't necessarily disagree with that. And if there are trillions of dollars in left-wing programs run by Democrats... This is what the president meant. What do you have to lose? Vote for me. And it's having a positive impact. It's not nirvana. Nothing's nirvana. But it is a great start. Lowering unemployment in these communities. Enterprise zones. Real enterprise zones in these communities. And there are other things that can be done. Go ahead. Know how to behave in the workplace where they have to work collaboratively and collectively. They don't know how to behave in the workplace where they have to work collaboratively and collectively. I'm telling you, this guy's stereotypes. He sounds like a bigot. Sounds like an absolute bigot. So let's look at where the Democrat Party is today. You've got Mike Bloomberg trashing farmers, trashing blue-collar workers, saying death to the elderly, seems to have a, an odd stereotypical fixation with black youth and Latino youth. You've got Bernie Sanders, who is a Marxist, who seeks to destroy our capitalist system, destroy what's left of the firewalls in our constitutional system, who is attracted to and who's attracted by full-throated, Jew-hating anti-Semites, whether it's Talib and Omar, Sassur and so many others. And so you've got this anti-Semitism, you've got this bizarre, stereotypical view of of blacks and Latinos. You've got an elitist view. And by elitist, I don't mean intelligent. Elitist, by elitist, I mean ignorant. An elitist view of the, uh, the, of the working American. People who use their hands, farmers, ranchers, tradesmen, blue-collar workers. You've got a horrific view of life, really an embrace of a a morbid attitude toward humanity. Abortion was supposed to be rare. Remember that, Mr. Producer? Now it's abortion on demand, funded by the taxpayers, and abortion after life. That's what the Supreme Court gave us. That's what Roe v. Wade's all about. Today, the inevitable... Trajectory. And then you have this view of the elderly. That they are draining our health care system. This is the same party that wants illegal aliens 
to get free health care. The same party that wants illegal aliens to get free health care would throw senior American citizens off of health care. Now, it causes me to wonder what would happen at the Veterans Administration. You've got a lot of old men and some old women who are receiving medical care as a result of serving in the United States Armed Forces. In combat. Defending our freedom. Defending our country. And more and more moving in there. Vietnam vets and so forth. Korean vets. Before that. You're going to cut them off? And tell them, hey look, you're kind of old. We can't afford it anymore. Meanwhile, some drug-riddled Young person who's contributed nothing to society or an illegal alien who's not even supposed to be here. How do you make these decisions about humanity? I am telling you that this Democrat Party is a very, very dangerous entity and it always has been. I'll be right back. Mark Levin Show, live and national at 877-381-3811. By the way, a big announcement tomorrow. I know people say that, but I mean it. Big announcement tomorrow. Not a damn thing you can do about it, but... Is there a uh, effort behind the scenes going on while we're focused on so many other things among Republicans on Capitol Hill for a brand new big amnesty? Well, Daniel Horowitz at Conservative Review says, yes, there is. It's being led by Lindsey Graham and James Lankford and Tom Tillis. And we better start paying attention to it because the administration may well sign off on it. Daniel Horowitz, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Mark. Some things just never change. Well, tell us what's going on so the whole country knows. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, while we're all distracted, there's so much going on, DOJ corruption, impeachment, you name it. Uh, The swamp never stops from plotting and scheming. Uh, The reality is a lot of people thought that once Donald Trump was elected, the Republican Party would change. But outside the president himself, uh, the party really has not changed, whether it's the leadership in Congress, whether it's GOP governors, and whether it's those in the executive branch. And they are more committed to pushing an amnesty bill than ever before. I know a lot of us thought that we would um, kind of put down our gloves for a couple years and we'd be done with this. But no, they are pushing a massive agricultural amnesty bill. You talked about a lot at the top of the the hour, uh, Bloomberg, who views Latinos as just vassals, all these stereotypes. So sadly, the political class, which includes too many Republicans, Uh, view them as nothing but cheap labor. And what they're planning on doing is pushing a bill that will give amnesty to roughly, let's say, between three and three and a half million illegal aliens who claim to be working in agriculture, and then creating an entirely new, low-skilled visa program to bring in people, indenture them to farms for 10 years, and then tether dangle in front of them the incentive of of a green card and a path to citizenship, 
as a reward for being that indentured servant for 10 years. And, oh, they're calling it the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. This is something it already passed the House. Um, like, I, like you mentioned, the top Judiciary Committee chairman, Lindsey Graham, Tom Tillis, are pushing it. They have a lot of support within the administration, and they are trying to get the president to support this. And I will tell you, there has been no veto threat issued from uh, the Office of Management and Budget at this point. You're talking about three, three and a half million who would be effectively legalized? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that, and that doesn't include a separate bill, which they will likely marry um, to this bill once the Supreme Court's so-called DACA decision comes down to give at least another 1.8 million illegal aliens under the age of 35. But I I, I want to talk about one thing at a time here. I'm asking you about this secret stuff. I've heard about the DACA stuff before. That's not new. I'm asking about this. This is new. Through the back door, three to three and a half million illegal aliens would no longer be illegal aliens, correct? That is correct. And this is a sop to agribusiness, isn't it? Absolutely. That's where it's coming from. The Secretary of Agriculture, uh, Sonny Perdue, supports this as well. Um, this has been a, a longstanding priority. It passed the House last December. 34 Republicans joined uh, with it. By the way, it's sponsored by Zoe Lofgren, who was uh, one of the managers of impeachment. Radical nut job. A total nut job. One of the impeachment managers. And the reality is more Republicans support it. It's just because it was coming from the Democrats. They're in the minority. They voted against it. But Republicans have the majority in the Senate. And I think what conservatives need to be asking is, is this what awaits us on the other side of what should be a very good election against the radical Democrats? Because we need to know that now. Is it? I, Mark, I think it is if conservatives don't stay focused. Um, like I said, the swamp is always focused. They're always working. Uh, this is something that is a huge let me, let me ask you this. Not that it would be better, but let me ask you this. In exchange for this massive amnesty backdoor you're talking about, which really isn't being debated right now, three to three and a half million, you're saying. Is that correct? I just keep asking you. That, that, that is correct. That is the estimate of those who currently work in agricultural. But remember that this is what they did in 1986, and the verification is very tenuous. So, if and, no and, this, and we're not even talking about DACA now. We're talking about something totally different. Something totally different. All right. Now, three to three and a half million, that would be a flat-on amnesty. And my question to you is, and are we even securing the border? Are we doing anything No. in exchange for anything? No. So, so it would, it would um, promise E-Verify, remember 1986, except only for, for agriculture, which would be moot at that point because they bring in a permanent or they start a permanent visa program to give them an insatiable amount of low-skilled workers. So they'll just do it legally. I mean, they're just going to amnesty everyone. So you're saying illegal immigration for the purpose of agriculture will almost be pointless. It will be pointless, yeah. Since the spigot for legal immigration will be never, rarely ever turned off. 
not, not for that sector. It will not be turned off. No enforcement anywhere else. And I think this is really what is so offensive. Uh, it was just reported that last year 375,000 new illegal aliens who were apprehended by DHS were released into the population. Yeah. No clamor, no sense of urgency to do a fix with that. There are 3.2 million known criminal illegal aliens already targeted by ICE for removal who remain undetained indefinitely in our country. Well, that, um, that in part is a resource problem. And that, in part, and that in part is the states and, and cities refusing to alert the feds to get rid of them, right? Exactly. Sanctuaries, that's why interior enforcement is down. Um, ICE, ERO, uh, enforcement and removal only has 5,300 deportation officers. Um, so your listeners understand some context here. The NYPD is about 20,000 uh, officers, and ICE is nationwide. And, and again, 3.2 million known criminal illegal aliens. So this should be our priority, yet somehow the American citizen taxpayer doesn't seem to matter. So Lindsey Graham's up to no good again. Is that what you're telling me? Lindsey Graham uh, is pretty much over the hill in terms of worrying about a primary challenge. So, yes, he is back to his old ways. But if he's worried about a primary challenge, shouldn't he be watching the right? Well, well, that's what I'm saying. I think he's already safely uh, avoided any serious challenge. From the right because of his uh, defense of the president. Defense of the president because of um, the Kavanaugh hearings. And it's a similar thing with Tillis. Tillis introduced an enforcement bill on sanctuaries, never pushed for a vote. Um, then, you know, because he had a well-funded challenger, he got the president's endorsement, the challenger dropped out, and now we don't hear from that bill so much. Unbelievable. All right. Keep an eye on this. And as uh, more information uh, occurs, we will be bringing you back, Daniel Horowitz of Conservative Review. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, And that article where he lays it out is at conservativereview.com, conservativereview.com. It's entitled Senate Republicans Looking to Repeat 1986 Amnesty Seeking President Trump's Support, According to Sources. So I want to give you a heads up, because I don't think anybody's talking about it. Are they, Mr. Producer? I don't think so. And in this context, Joe Biden was in Reno, Nevada today, talking about DACA students. These, again, are illegal aliens who came here at a young age, from birth, I guess, to the age of 30 or 32, And I want you to hear what he has to say. Please listen to this. I don't play clips to fill time. I play clips because I think they're important, or I don't play them. Listen to this. Cut six, go. Once again, legalize all the DACA students. These DACA students are more Americans than most Americans are. No, no, no. No, Just listen to this. These DACA students are more American than most Americans are? I have no idea what attracts people to these Democrat candidates. Do you like being abused? Do you like being stereotyped? Do you like being told you're too old? Do you like being told that whatever you earn really belongs to the government? Do you like being told you don't have the gray matter to do whatever it is they think you should be able to do? Do you like being put down? Who the hell are these people? Joe Biden is a dumb guy. 
who got elected from a Democrat, tiny little Democrat state, over and over and over again. That's it. Michael Bloomberg is an information guy. He sells information to massive international corporations and foreign countries. It's what he does. Even his little news operation, most of it is, is, the, is, the, uh, is the collection and selling of information, plus he has the Bloomberg News. And Bernie Sanders has never accomplished a damn thing in his entire life. Another one gets elected from a state with a tiny population, a homogeneous population, time and time again. That's it. And they make these outrageous statements. I want you to listen to this again. All you union guys out there, you think Joe Biden is so cool. Lunch bucket Joe. I want you to listen to this. Cut six, go. Once again, legalize all the DACA students. These DACA students are more Americans than most Americans are. No, I'm serious. Think about it. He's serious. Think about it. I thought about it. There's certainly more American than you are, you jackass. Tired of being put down, America? You're going to have your jobs destroyed, your health care destroyed, rationing of health care. You're going to be paying massive sums of money to the government, faceless, massive bureaucracies, and being told that's your fair share. You're going to be turned away at the doctor's offices and the emergency rooms. The borders are going to be wide open. That's what they've promised. Health care for people who aren't even here yet. Shocking. Ladies and gentlemen, how great was your Valentine's Day this year? Well, how about taking 10 or 15 years off your parents with new Genesel jawline treatment? I'm glad we're still talking about Valentine's, Mr. Producer. No more turkey neck, double chin, or sagging jawline. It works amazingly well. Just listen to Linda B. from Marina Del Rey. I love your jawline cream. It really works I mean, I really see a difference, and people never believe my age. But it works. And guys, it works for you, too. Right now, the brand-new Genesel jawline treatment is yours free when you order Genesel for bags and puffiness under the eyes. And for 12-hour results, the Genesel immediate effects is also free. Say goodbye to that double chin, under-eye bags, and even those laugh lines and crow's feet are gone. Guaranteed or your money back. That's a big deal. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or go to Genesel.com. Order now and get the Genesel XV Collagen Builder and Idler Lift free. All orders upgraded to free express shipping. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or go to Genesel.com. That's Genesel.com. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Look at this, Mr. Producer. One of our favorite sites, The Federalist, Molly Hemingway. Source, Democrat senator held secret meeting in Munich 
with Iranian Foreign Minister Zarif. By the way, that's a good place to have a secret meeting with the uh, Islamo-Nazis. That would be Munich. Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. This guy is a real slimeball. And other Democratic senators had a secret meeting with Iranian Foreign Minister Mohammad Zavad Zarif during the Munich Security Conference last week, according to a source briefed by the French delegation to the conference. Murphy's office did not respond to repeated requests for comment by the press, or by press time. Such a meeting would mean Murphy had done the type of secret coordination with foreign leaders to potentially undermine the U.S. government that he accused Trump officials of doing as they prepared for Trump's administration. In February 2017, Murphy demanded investigations of National Security Advisor Mike Flynn because he had a phone call with his counterpart to be in Russia. Quote, any effort to undermine her nation's foreign policy, even during a transition period, may be illegal and must be taken seriously. That's what a nut job this guy is. So an incoming administration can't even, can't even deal with foreign leaders. He also strongly criticized the open letter some Republican senators sent Iranians, Iranian leaders, during the Obama administration's campaign for a nuclear agreement. But Murphy has previously defended rogue meetings if they're done by Democrats, such as former Secretary of State John Kerry. Quote, Liz was authorized by the President or Secretary of State conducting independent foreign policy sends mixed signals to our adversary, said Christian Winton former State Department senior advisor in the Trump and George W. Bush administrations. Now, the Munich Security Conference, an annual forum on international security policy, welcomes hundreds of world leaders each February. This year's conference featured robust debate on America's maximum pressure policy against Iran, China's handling of the coronavirus and technology concerns, and the European alliance with the United States. Other Democratic senators at the conference included Robert Menendez of uh, New Jersey, Chris Van Hollen of Maryland, former Senator John Kerry of Massachusetts also. To, this Chris Van Hollen is quite the uh, globe-hopper, Maryland. He loves his junkets. When I was in Israel last year with my family, we saw Van Hollen. Bob Murphy and Zarif spoke publicly during a two-hour session on Middle East policy, with Murphy and Zarif both fiercely criticizing U.S. policy. So it seems to me Chris Murphy has a lot of answering to do. Shall we have a special counsel? I'm sure some committee of Congress will investigate. Not. Mr. Producer, I know it's likely pointless, but he needs to know. I want you to invite this guy Murphy on the radio show. We want to discuss Iran. We want to discuss... Hey, let's try it this way. Ready? Let me whisper. We want to discuss his brilliant performance over the last several months during impeachment in the impeachment trial. See if that'll fly. Shh. Nobody tip him off. None of you out there. Don't tip him off. This will be great. I'm serious. Will you see if we can get him? We need his genius input. Having been elected his entire career to public office and never actually done anything else. He's a lawyer, don't you know? But that's all right. They're good lawyers and then there's, you know, the rest. But 
We want to talk to this man. He's obviously a genius. He's all over TV. I see him all the time. See him all the time. So I will not say a nasty word about him because my goal is to hook him onto the program and to have a rational, civilized discussion. What was he doing in Munich? What was he doing in Munich? And does he have any issues with the appearance of what he was doing in Munich? And that's just for starters. I'm sure being a public official, he'd be more than excited to come on the program. We're heard throughout the nutmeg state. And a number of stations, including the great WABC. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. Nancy Pelosi is basically threatening the Republican Party and people who voted for Trump that if you vote for him again, she intends to punish you. She can't envision this man winning again. The destruction he would do to our country. She said as much on CNN on Saturday, which means nobody saw it or heard it. Where Christiana Amanpour who's a hack. Cut 11, go. You've been elected over and over and over again. And you said to me before the midterms, as long as he's there, (laughs) i.e. President Trump, I'm here. Do you still, is that still the case for you? Oh, I I can't even envision a a situation where he would be reelected. But we are not, we don't take anything for granted. So they can't envision it. They tried to prevent it. They tried to prevent you from being able to vote for your president for a second term and the Republican Party from nominating whom the Republican Party wishes to nominate, which is Donald Trump. So they've tried to oust him from office. They've tried to prevent him from running for re-election. And what she's basically saying there is we can't envision this. And should such a horror occur, we will fight him every step of the way. Uh, These are fascistic comments. She has a fascistic thought process. Uh, And um, that's what she is and who she's become. And that's kind of where this stuff always ends up on the hard left. Oh, and yes, media and media matters. I call her fascistic all the time. And ladies and gentlemen, they don't need, you don't need them to tell you that. All you have to do is go to my, my archives. Goes back four years, right, Rich? Continue, please. Go. As I say, that he, we have to have our own vision for the future, but everybody knows. Yes, they have their own vision for the future, ladies and gentlemen. Illegal aliens, health care, and endless numbers of illegal aliens as we eliminate our border. Senior citizens without health care, pat them on the head and send them off if they have some dire disease. Abortion, often funded by the taxpayer, and afterbirth. Oh, they have a vision. 
They have a great vision, a great, sickening, inhumane vision. Substituting capitalism for socialism, constitutionalism for Marxism, packing the courts with radical ideologues of the left, activists, who have no more compunction to follow the Constitution than they do. Oh, you can see it. They've got a vision for America. Degrade and eventually eviscerate the United States military, thereby provoking our enemies to hit us. Eliminating energy independence, long sought, over a century sought, finally achieved. Eliminating energy independence. For what? Battery-operated sock warmers? What? What would Bernie Sanders do with his own two hands if he really had to? Nothing. I want you to think of a society if they're in charge. Montesquieu talked about it. Prudish, poor, short. Words to that effect. It'd be a throwback. Be more of a feudal society than anything else. Individualism would be irrelevant. Anybody dared to step out, they'd be the enemy of the state. You like what took place in Judge Jackson's courtroom, Amy Berman Jackson? You can assume that many Amy Berman Jacksons will be appointed to the courts and higher courts where due process and justice becomes impossible. Impossible. Oh, they have a vision, all right. Nancy Pelosi comes from San Francisco. She doesn't even talk about what's going on in San Francisco. A once beautiful city filled with human fecal matter and tents and syringes. There's your nirvana, your utopia. All right, what what else does Mumbles have to say? Go ahead. Must be unified and making sure that he does not have a second term. Our country is great. The American people are wonderful. We're a resilient country. Well, well, the American people are wonderful. Joe Biden just said that illegal aliens are better than the American public. Go ahead. And one term, but the destruction that he would do to the United States. Shut up, you idiot. Shut up, you idiot. So much of the country so sick of you and your droning stupidity and your sky is falling BS endlessly. The courts, the courts would be ruined. They'd be destroyed because he's putting constitutionalists on the courts. You idiot. Sick. Absolutely sick what she's doing to this country and has done to this country. Let's take a call, shall we, Mr. Producer? Let's see here. Hold on one second. Who do you recommend? North Carolina XM Satellite. Mike, go. Yes, Mike. How may I help you? Yes, sir. Mark, I just want to thank you for your kudos to the blue-collar working man. I'm 62 years old, been doing electrical work since I graduated high school. And when you played Paul Harvey's 
I'm, I'm, I'm breaking H- up. His audio. Right you, I played his audio. Yep. Right. You know, God bless the, the farmers. I, I broke down in tears, man, because I've been doing this all my life. And, and you know what? Let's be honest. I couldn't even have light in my house but for electrician. I don't know one wire from the other. I don't even know where the hell it all comes from. And neither did the city of Bloomberg. Bloomberg, the uh, high-tech. I'm for high-tech. But if you don't have electricity, you don't have high-tech. Now, do you? You don't. You're exactly right. This guy, Bloomberg, I voted for Trump. I'm going to vote for him again next election. I just want people in your situation to understand who this guy is before they get snookered by his now $417 million in ads. Now, now, this American right here ain't getting snookered by Bloomberg. Yeah, but you got unions telling them to vote for these guys. They better wake the hell up. Wow. All right, Mike. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Here's the truth. In my household, I grew up in two worlds. And to my great privilege and benefit, my mother and father were extremely intelligent. Extremely intelligent. And they also worked with their hands. They started a nursery school. They built the furniture. They, they created the curriculum. They built the toys. Everything was hands-on. They didn't have any money. Everything was hands-on. Everything. Everything. My dad was a self-taught carpenter. He was tremendous. He could fix anything. Anything. My mother the same with us, whether it was clothing, whatever it was, out of necessity. And out of American know-how, you just did what you had to do. And yet, very intellectual. I mean, they went to college, but I'm not saying they got PhDs. Extremely well-read. And they wanted their children to be extremely well-read. So we were always in two worlds. The world of the blue-collar worker, Because for the vast majority of their lives, once they got out of poverty, they were middle class. Not upper middle class, not middle class. They eventually ran a retail store. And when people weren't coming into the store, they didn't make any money. There was no guaranteed minimum income of $15 an hour. There was no guaranteed wage. And if somebody wasn't coming in the store, my dad could be sitting there reading a book by Bastiat. And my mother, too. And so we lived in this world where you had to respect hard work, and you did, because that's what you did. We'd go there during the weekends. We did whatever we were asked to do, sweep the floors, do errands. Can't remember everything. Box stuff up, not box stuff up. And so, when people said to me, thank you for standing up for electricians and so forth, I feel terrible. I shouldn't have to stand up for electricians and plumbers. It's quite obvious how important these people are. It's quite obvious. 
And yet, I feel I have to defend my fellow Americans against the Democrats. Republicans don't talk this way. Trump doesn't talk this way. I don't talk this way. Bloomberg talks this way. Mr. Class Warfare, Bernie Sanders talks this way. I want people to succeed, period. Whether they're plumbers and electricians or what have you. Whether they're bankers or what have you. It all, everyone has their role. Everyone has their contribution to society. By doing their own thing. But that gets lost. It gets lost. I'll be right back. Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Paul Harvey again, thanks to Vice President Mike Pence, who posted it on his site, answering not just Bloomberg, who trashes farmers and blue-collar workers, people who use their hands and their brains to get things done for this country. I want you to listen to how Paul Harvey answers Bloomberg and the American media. Go. I looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to sit up all night with a newborn colt and watch it die and dry his eyes and say, maybe next year. I need somebody who can shape an axe handle from a persimmon sprout, shoe a horse with a hunk of car tire, who can make harness out of hay, wire, feed sacks, and shoe scraps, who planting time and harvest season will finish his 40-hour week by Tuesday noon and then pain in from tractor back, put in another 72 hours. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink-combed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. It had to be somebody who'd plow deep and straight and not cut corners. Somebody to seed, weed, feed, breed, and rake, and disc, and plow, and plant, and tie the fleece, and strain the milk. Somebody who'd bail a family together with the soft, strong bonds of sharing. Who would laugh, and then sigh, and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says that he wants to spend his life doing what dad does. So God made a farmer. 
You know, as I listen to Paul Harvey and I think about Ronald Reagan, men of a past era, I think of my own father for that matter. You know, 32 years ago saw the end of the Reagan administration. 32 years ago. Did you think, those of us who are old enough to remember, the 32 years from the end of the Reagan administration would be entertaining the nomination of a Marxist for President of the United States? They can call him a socialist or a democratic socialist. Look, they can call him a kumquat or a coconut. Doesn't matter to me. I know what he is, and so do you. That 32 years after the last days of the Reagan administration, that this nation would be entertaining the potential nomination of a Marxist for President of the United States. And despite what the Code Pink Republicans are saying, with the full-blown support, the full-blown support of the media and the Democrat Party, neither of which have really Neither of which have really taken a close examination of the man, or even won a close examination of the man. As I said the other day, they're now spinning. They're, they're changing the language. They're changing the nomenclature. They're redefining old Bernie. No, just another liberal, really. A little radical, but we can live with him, can't we? 32 years. 30 years after the defeat of the Soviet Union. The man who chose of all places on the face of the planet to have a honeymoon with his lovely wife in the city of Moscow during the height of the Cold War. That he would be nominated, potentially, a Marxist for the presidency of the United States. And make no mistake, the people who want to nominate him for president want him to be president. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Yes, it's true that Mark Levin is the fastest growing radio show in America. The Mark Levin Show is on at 877-381-3811. You know, I don't think I've mentioned this for well over a month. I want you to join our podcast family. I don't want you to stop listening to radio, but I want you to have that podcast just in case. 
just in case you want to go back and listen to a show you missed, just in case you can't listen to the show when it's live, just in case the show is preempted, I want you to have the Mark Levin podcast ready to go. Here's what you do. It's three steps. Click, click, click. Go to marklevinshow.com. That is my mothership website. We've had it for over a decade, I guess. It's the heart of the radio website. That's our radio website. It's the mothership, marklevinshow.com. You'll get there, the homepage. I want you to click on the audio rewind link. It's in the middle of the top of that page. That's our homepage. So go to marklevinshow.com. Good so far? Then click on the audio rewind, middle of the top of the homepage. That was step two. Step three, it takes you to the podcast page. So pick the podcast platform that you want. And it'll download it on the link. Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher Podcast. Three examples. Then you're set. Now if you still don't know how to do this, ask somebody who does. There's somebody in your family or among your friends or colleagues who will know how to do it. But when we set this up, I said three quick steps, and that's what it is. Boom, boom, boom. Then you can take my show anywhere. On your handheld phone, if you're on a laptop, you're on a PC, you're on a Mac, whatever you have. iPad. You can pick us up almost anywhere. Maybe in your fillings, if you like wearing aluminum hats, you can pick us up that way too. Orange juice cans. But seriously, I haven't talked about it a lot. But I want to massively grow our podcast community as well. Often they're not the same listeners. But if you find that from time to time the program is inconvenient in terms of its uh, scheduled time slot on your radio station, you can listen to the podcast. I want you to continue to listen to our wonderful affiliates, but there are occasions when you can't. So once again, it's marklevinshow.com. That's the homepage of the main website. And then you see at the middle of the top of the homepage, click on the Audio Rewind link. That'll take you to the podcast page, which will give you choices of the platforms you want to use. Really doesn't matter which one. Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Then you're set. You can listen to us anywhere, anytime. And in many ways, any way. Modern technology bringing you the voice of liberty. I can tell I'm starting to lose my voice a bit here, which is a good opportunity to do what I wanted to do anyway, which is give you a little bit, a little bit of the audio from, I think, our magnificent show on Fox last night because of Professor Bert Fulson. Let's begin with cut 15, go. So when you're watching the impeachment trial and you're hearing about quid pro quo, abuse of power, are you thinking to yourself as I am, under this test, how in the world would Franklin Roosevelt survive? Franklin Roosevelt operated in a quid pro quo setting almost every day of his presidency during the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And it was accepted by the Democratic Party that that's the way it would work. In fact, they campaigned on quid pro quo. President Roosevelt kept careful records of which money went into which congressman. 
And of course, congressmen were competing for this money, even within the Democratic Party. So they wanted to be loyal to Roosevelt to get the money. But the point is, when they went into the campaign, they would announce in their campaign advertising all the programs and all the money that had come in as a result of their connections with Franklin Roosevelt. The Republican would be caught saying, well, I favor limited government. And then the, can the voters would say, well, what are you going to do for us? This other fellow has brought in these WPA projects, maybe other kinds of uh, bridges and federal uh, contributions. What have you done for us? And it changed the American political debate in the 1930s. The Republicans have really never quite been able to recover and respond to that approach. So the modern Democrat Party is built on infinite quid pro quo deals. That's what you could distill it into, and Franklin Roosevelt was the master of it. And then he builds this massive bureaucratic state, this administrative state, which we call the swamp, many of us, or yes. this, this, uh, this enshrined bureaucracy, as an appendage, really, of the Democrat Party. It serves the interests of the Democrat Party, and the Democrat Party serves the interests of this massive bureaucratic state. Yes which is why a President Trump or past Republicans who wanted to address it have had these obstacles, these battles, because, and, and this is also why the Democrat Party jumps to their defense, that is, of the bureaucracy. That, they view, that's their property, that's their bureaucracy. They build it, and it exists to advance this massive progressive agenda. Right. Occasionally, you will get a Republican president that tries to buck this a little bit. President Nixon at one time was talking with John Ehrlichman, uh, his advisor, and he said, why don't we get into the IRS and start auditing these Democrats? We need to use this to our advantage. Which Roosevelt had done. Correct. Which Kennedy had done. Which LBJ had done. And Nixon does it. And? Nixon was not able to... Impeach him. Or try to <laughs> Get away with it. Yeah. Right. You know, in many ways, Nixon was stealing police state ideas from the Democrats who preceded him and they went after him and some of the Democrats who went after him on Capitol Hill and in the media were Democrats who had done and participated in exactly the same thing as Nixon did the great untold story more with Professor Bert Folsom of Hillsdale and me last night on Life, Liberty and Levin cut 16, go but I want to get back to this abuse of power issue because it was so prominent a few weeks ago by FDR sycophants, left-wing Democrats in the House, in the Senate, running for president, they think FDR walks on water. But to me, it was one of the biggest abuses of power in American history. So I want to get back to this. You pointed out he used the IRS to go after Mellon. Yes, he did. Mellon, who'd been the Treasury Secretary in the prior administration, was a very successful businessman in Pennsylvania and tried to destroy him and imprison him. Isn't that correct? That's correct. He was, he was audited and there were sincere attempts. Uh, specifically, the director of the IRS was informed, go after Mellon. But the director didn't want to do it because he knew Andrew Mellon and he knew how honest Mellon was and he knew that nothing substantial would ever be found on Mellon's tax returns and nothing was. And even FDR's Treasury Secretary, Morgenthau. Correct. Henry Morgenthau was a little hesitant, but he did what he was told to do. And he writes something to the effect in his own notes that Franklin Roosevelt wanted him in prison for breakfast. I mean, this is 
brutal power. Right, right. Uh, and there were other examples, were there not? Well, I'm thinking of Mo Annenberg, who was the editor of the Philadelphia Inquirer. In other words, remember, Roosevelt wanted to flip Pennsylvania. Annenberg was an effective editor. And so what Roosevelt wanted to do was help the editor of the Democrat newspaper, and he received Reconstruction Finance Corporation subsidies because he wasn't as good as Annenberg, and he needed federal money to help prop him up. And then go after Annenberg, who did happen to be careless in some of his tax returns. Roosevelt did have Annenberg for breakfast, as he and Morgenthau talked about. And Annenberg ended up serving prison time and was out of Pennsylvania and off the Philadelphia Inquirer. Franklin Roosevelt carried Pennsylvania, the first, Demo the first Democrat since Buchanan to do so, in 1936 with almost a doubling of the turnout in Pennsylvania. Massive subsidies, flipping Pennsylvania, and then, of course, carried it in 1940 and 1944. See, folks, this is the kind of programming I want to do. I think it adds enormously to our knowledge base as a people so we can sort through what's going on today because you're not going to get it from these newsrooms. You're just not. Watch the CNN and MSNBC and you read the New York Times, you hear about Americans 1619, born of slavery and so forth. I'm doing exactly what I want to do with this Fox program. And I hope you're really uh, enjoying it. Certainly hope you're watching it. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Final clip I wanted to play for you with Professor Bert Folsom of Hillsdale and me last night on Life, Liberty, and Levin. Cut 17. Go. Bernie Sanders, Franklin Roosevelt, abuse of power, Adam Schiff. I want to bring this all together. One of the great attacks on our constitutional system, and there were many under Franklin Roosevelt, the hero of the Democrat left in this country, was the attack on the Supreme Court. Nine seats on the Supreme Court. It's not in the Constitution. But that's been the tradition. Roosevelt doesn't like the court because a majority in the court is knocking down his rather radical programs as unconstitutional, not fitting in one of the boxes, one of the articles of the Constitution. So he decides, well, I can fix that. I'll add five seats. What happens? 
Right. He, he was very upset that the Supreme Court struck down the National Recovery Act and the Agricultural Adjustment Act, and, so, and others, too. And so uh, he had no appointees to the Supreme Court during his first term. That's rare. Usually presidents He get, fixes that later. Right. He sure does fix that later. Eight out of nine, right? Eight out of nine. He ultimately appointed eight out of the nine seats. But in 1936, he won an overwhelming reelection against Alf Landon. In fact, Governor Landon, uh, the Republican opponent, was from Kansas, he could, an agricultural state. He couldn't even carry his own state. Well, Roosevelt wants the Agricultural Adjustment Act in some form to continue. And so what he wants to do is pack the Supreme Court. If he can get it up to 15, which would ultimately get him six, six. Under, under some circumstances, five or six, uh, he could uh, then carry more legislation through. And so he has a bill that he is promoting to pack the Supreme Court. He uses the influence he has in the Southern senators and others. Instead of using it for, say, a federal anti-lynching bill or something like that, he uses it to pack the Supreme Court. Well, uh, for a while it goes well. He calls in various senators and congressmen. Or, uh, the Senate, in this case, is, is the key group. And he uh, is... is Telling them he'll get bring subsidies to their area if they'll vote support his coat. So he's trying to buy their support again. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Claude Pepper being one from the Claude Senate. Pepper was the congressman from Florida. Right. Was also a senator. Right. He, he was became senator a in congressman the 30s. later. Yeah. And what happens? Well, uh, it goes well for a while, but then there began to be these questions. He over he overreaches. For example, he, he uh, you have three branches of government. You have, of course, the uh, Supreme Court, and you have the presidency, but then you have Congress. And the Senate in particular, you have Roosevelt attempting successfully to pick the next majority leader, the Democrat, who... The man he picked, Senator Barkley of Kentucky, won 38 to 37 within the Democratic Party. And Roosevelt, in effect, bought the votes. In other words, he called on people who owed him favors to make sure Barkley was the one. Thus, you have a revolt in the Senate because they say, look, the president has the executive branch and he now wants the Supreme Court and he's taken our branch. He's interfering there. And there began to be a rebellion within the Democratic Party against him, north and south. This wasn't just Southerners. Uh, Burton Wheeler of Montana, senator, uh, was against him very much, too. All across, and ultimately, it was overwhelmingly defeated. He could not go forward. Well, if you want to watch more, I guess they rerun it on Saturday. But it's very, very uh, well worth it. <clears throat> My announcement tomorrow will be a special announcement about this coming Sunday show, which I cannot announce until tomorrow. Another big deal, I think you'll agree. Let us go to Charles, Carbondale, Pennsylvania, the great WTRW. How are you? Hey, good, uh, Mark. Big fan, first-time caller. I'm commenting on uh, Bloomberg's uh, farmer comments. My father-in-law was a farmer for 60 years, and he passed away in 2012. The talents that he required, he had to be a mechanic, he had to be a welder, he had to be a veterinarian, because he was a cattle farmer and he was a dairy farmer. And Bloomberg is so ignorant. He also had to be a bookkeeper. His ignorance is pathetic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the more this man is exposed, the better. But he is flopping millions out there like it's nothing. And uh, he's trying to buy his way in. I don't think it's going to work. Thanks for your call, my friend. 
We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and all you folks that help us. All you folks who make this country work, quite frankly. And I will see you tomorrow. Thanks for being here. God bless you. 